Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. I got a book in the mail. Dr. Nanny Yao sent this book to me. And it's called Comics Return. It's right over my shoulder. Black Comics Return. Comics with an X. And I, this book is so beautiful. And it's so amazing. And I started going down this rabbit hole. Uh, and just really reacquainting myself with this man who is uh, one of the best in this space right now. And I want to have this conversation because we're talking about race and reparations. But for me, the storytelling, telling our stories through our lenses, the way we are, who we are with our full creative juices flowing is to me the freedom that we should have. And that's what we're looking for. Let me welcome to the show. He is... um, He's the director of a new line of graphic novels with Abrams Books called Megascope. He also did this brilliant, brilliant graphic novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's Kindred, which I want to talk about as well. Uh, He's doing some stuff with Marvel. And uh, let me welcome the one and only John Jennings. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey. 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 John Jennings is here. Um, Somebody that spends a lot of time in his own headspace. Uh, Yes. Take me all the way back, and let me introduce you to Cena Gasnaby, my co-host for the day. Um, hey, I I'm not a big, huge comic book fan. Uh, I love movies, though. I watch everything, but I realize for a lot of our kids, the graphic novel spaces where it, it introduced, I remember having this conversation with Dr. Gray Carr. That's how he really got into reading. Right. And this is a man that reads everything, but his entry point was. C- comic books and going to the local corner store with 15 cents every week and getting the comic book series and getting into DC and Marvel and, and it just opened his whole mind and introduced him to vocabulary. Is that your entry point to this, John? Um, a little bit, a little bit. Again, um, thank you for having me. I'm so honored. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit. Um, so I'm from originally from Mississippi and I grew up in the sticks, you know, and it was very difficult to get, you know, comics on, on a regular basis. Of course, back in the day, as you said, they were in the corner store, they were in like, you know, stop and goes and such like that before the direct market happened, you know? Um, I actually started reading, my mom was a um, was a literature major at Alcorn State University. And there's a lot of, she just had a lot of literature books and I was off in the cut. I started reading super early. Um, my mother was really into science fiction and fantasy at a very young age. Uh, we, she was in like action movies, horror movies horror, horror uh, stories, sci-fi, fantasy, all the all the speculative stuff that is really cool right now. You know, she was a massive geek and, you know, she got me into that geeky stuff too. Um, and then I was reading a lot of mythology, right? So I was reading like a, a lot of Norse mythology, Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, like a lot of us. And she picked up the first comics that I read were like, you know, The Mighty Thor, you know, by Stanley Jack Kirby, right? Where you, they're basically taking like Norse mythology and kind of turned to pop culture, right? And um, yeah, so I just fell in love with the, that character, Daredevil, Superman, Batman. And then the other thing though, is I fell in love with the medium of comics because a lot of times we conflate, you know, medium and genre, right? We think about superheroes a lot, but the medium of comics is, is just a, as a myriad as any other medium, you know? So anything that looked like a comic book I was trying to pick up, I'm talking like hot stuff, Archie, Richie Rich. Um, and then also too, like a lot of those like wild uh warren magazines like those horror magazines from the 1970s that were like you know that i probably shouldn't have been reading (laughs) actually um you know from like creepy and eerie and stuff like that so 
I was an avid reader. I started reading, reading like super early. I started drawing super early. And I, that's that's where it started, you know, and then conflate that with a grandmother who probably was a root worker of some kind, you know, <laughs> uh, she probably was into like, you know, conjure and stuff, like just looking back at the stuff she would say. You know, I grew up in this really, really, um, really nebulous, uh, you know, maternal headspace, right? And you know, almost like a Steinbeckian space, right? Where I would literally, I know this is gonna sound weird, but I used to crawl up on top of a barn, like we used to live like for real in the, in the country. Um, and I would just stargaze, you know, and just wonder what was out there, right? And then before you know it, I realized that, hey, these stars have stories too. This is a, con the constellations actually have stories. And so I was just in love with astronomy. I was just, I was just a really curious kid, like super early. And comics just give you like this really, um, I think they're inherently surreal. You know, there's a surreal nature to them, you know, and symbolic nature to them that I think is really attractive to a lot of people who start to become visual storytellers. So that's kind of like my origin story, you know, pretty quickly. I know it's kind of verbose, but that's <laughs> that's, uh, that's where I start. You're you know? a man of many words. I've, I've spoken with you a lot. You you are thorough. Uh, Harvard Fellow, of course, New York Times bestseller, uh, author, bestselling author, Eisner Award winner. Uh, John Jennings is here. As you're talking, I've, I've had this conversation many times on these airwaves. I'm hearing a child grow up in America with no chains on his imagination. Mm -hmm. And that is the hope for every child growing up in America. And I think today with everything that's going on, and maybe it was the golden era, because we're around the same generation where you you could imagine yourself in all of these different places. Today, it's, a, it's very heavy for kids and all of the books that are out there, which is why I'm really doubling down on this comic book graphic novel space. It's, and even a lot of the comic books right now, very black, meaning, you know, black power this and black power that. And, you know, even Static Shock wasn't putting the black in your face like, yo, you know, we're going to go and, you know, race, 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 race. Shout out to Michael Davis uh, and Duffy and, and those guys. Um, but you, you, you realize that a lot of kids are growing up in America right now without the, uh, the space to dream. That's right. What do we do with that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, okay, for, for one thing that's always bothered me too is like what you're talking about, Karen, is like we used to actually take like some type of uh, pop culture artifact and make up stories about it, right? So if, if Pirates of the Caribbean had come out like, you know, when we were kids, um, we would have like made a pirate hat, made a fake sword, and, you know, became Jack Sparrow, right? And we've been like, you know, out there playing. And now, of course, you know, Child, children's culture is is commodified and sold to them. So as soon as a movie gets made or conceived, they're talking to marketing. They say, okay, well, what kind of things can we make? All right, we're going to have a serial, we're going to have costumes, we're going to have comic books, we're going to have ancillary projects. And so there's no space, you know, for for children to like really go into these uh, these imaginary worlds. Now, I'm always really inspired by Robin D. G. Kelly's book, uh, Freedom Dreams. You know, it talks about a black he talks about a black radical imagination. And, you know, he talks about like the fact that every um, revolution or every, you know, uh, thought process that actually moves us forward starts with dreaming. You know, you have to, you have to see yourself in that space first to get to another space, to get to a better space. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the problems is like, you know, everything is fungible has been like, you know, commodified and there's no wiggle room for you to like, just be, you know, um, to be playful, you know, and, and I think students forget about that now. One thing I like about comics so much is the fact that anybody can make them. You know, all you need is an idea, piece of paper, 
and a pencil or photos. Even if you can't draw, you can use photos. Italians use photography. It's called fumetti, right? And you just be able to, to write a story. Go down to your copy shop and you and you just publish a comic book. It's that simple. And then people people can sell those. You know what I'm saying? So so that's there's a there's a very low bar of entry into making a comic. You know that, that's what I love about it. So kids can actually really get into it. And I've been speaking to a lot of children fairly recently, and they just get so excited to create their own superheroes and their own you know, uh, realms and world building, and they really get serious about it, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, John, there's been such a, uh, maybe a critical pushback in some areas in like Hollywood and stuff when these big Hollywood book, comic book movies come out and stuff, mm -hmm. and, and they, they maybe not get the same critical appeal that other movies get, right? Do you see that starting to change with the tone and tenor and the substance of some of these uh, graphic novels that are being converted into films changing? Or do you think that that's still gonna be something that there's some pushback from uh, in like critical circles? You know, I, I think that whenever something's in, a, in the, um, the public sphere, there's always gonna be someone criticizing it, definitely. Uh, to me, the superhero uh, is, the antecedent for the superhero is the, is the cowboy, you know? Mm. If you think about it, you have like this lone person that's going to set everything right. You know, it's a very American, you know, narrative. You know, and I think that's what appeals to us. If you think about it, it goes like cowboy, private detective, superhero. You know, it's the same, the same kind of idea. Um, and then Captain America saves us, and he rides off on his horse into, you know, into the sunset. It's a, it's a very, very <laughs> American, very satisfying yeah. narrative. That's what's so appealing to it, to us. The other thing is that you know, whenever you're making a film, you made a film you do a what they call a storyboard, right? And so you draw it out and it saves you money when you know exactly what that next scene is gonna be. And if anybody's made a, a film, they know that, you know? And um, yeah, and so it saves money because you have like years and years and years. Marvel Comics has been around for 80 years, <laughs> you know? Um, Superman was created in 1938, <laughs> you know? Uh, Batman, 1939. Spider-Man was created in 1963, you know? So in these, these characters are not, you know, new characters, right? Or like the the niche uh, ideas around comics are just exploding out. And um, yeah, we're, we're one to kind of like make more of something if it's successful. That's just, that's capitalism. You know, that, that makes sense to me. Now, as far as like, um, as far as like, if you're making products to be, be consumed, um, as far as like, um, you know, graphic novels and stuff that, you know, being made into films, there's some, been some other graphic novel films that are just very low key, like Ghost World, um, the Road to Perdition is a graphic novel, which I thought was a yeah. really lovely film. Yeah. Sam Mendes film. Um, you know, uh, Men in Black is actually based on the comic book series. You know, so uh -huh. yeah, it's like people forget about it. The Mask, of course, The Crow. You know, these are early yeah. like comic book films. Blade, of course, which kind of jumped yeah. off a lot of stuff. Um, I think that as long at, as the quality is up and people are excited about these uh, these transmedia spaces, they're gonna be they're gonna be we're gonna be seeing more of them. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what it does is that it um, it excites the um, how do you say the uh, the entire like realm of comics as a transmedia space. You know, um, the other thing that we we kind of forget is that Marvel and DC are not comic book companies. Yeah. What no. are they? They're, they're, what are they, John? They're, they're, they're basically they used to be comic book companies. Now they're actually owned by really large, very powerful multinational corporations and. These particular characters are, uh, you know, they're owned by these, by, you know, they're 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 owned by you know the by Warner Brothers and Disney now. So they, 
there's a sense of nostalgia that's also connected to comics that I think is a commodified nostalgia that, you know, that we feel, you know, strong akin to. Karen started talking about a nostalgic aspect of going down, smelling the paper, you know, collecting them. You know, that's not the industry anymore. It's, it's, it's changed quite a bit. And these particular, these particular stories um, are parsed out to different um, partners, like publishing partners and stuff. These, these are really, really large properties. Everybody in their mama knows know the story of Superman. Because <laughs> you know? right. it's is Moses. It, is there it's an opportunity Moses. in this space to take it back, right? So I feel like, you know, we're in an inflection point where that pendulum, you know, has swung all the way out and is coming back. And I think people, you know, remember bookstores, there were bookstores, mom and pop bookstores, the corner store bookstores and all. Mm -hmm. I think that's coming back, you know, because then right. Amazon came and crushed everybody. And then now people are like, boo, Amazon's the big bully. And, and now the little mom and pops are, if you can figure out your, 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 your crew, your crew, you, you can be sustained, you know? And I think that we're looking at things, a little mom and pop grocery stores, a little mom, you know, like I, things are coming back to community and away from the big box situation. But I have a question, John Boyego, Boyega, John Boyega, who is one of my spirit animals, right up there with somebody whose name I'm not going to mention on these airwaves. He has recently, he's been very critical of Disney, of course, uh, and he continues to talk about the ways in which, you know, they they bring these black, well, he said, you know, they brought this black character in. Um, I'm going to read exactly what he said. Um, of course, 2019, 2015, he, he talked about, you know, what I would say to Disney, he said, is do not bring out a black character market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. It's not good, and I'll say it straight up. And he has been very vocal, and he said, I think I want to discuss the elephant in the room, you know, that it is easily dismissed sometimes, easily seen as a selfish act, a way to put the attention on me, but no, this is what the system does. You know, you, you use that image to project, oh, there's diversity here. And then when we watch the movie, it's like, uh, he's in a helmet most of the it's time. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no rounding out of the character. He said the characters are only as good as the moments that you give them. And when we talk about, you know, Captain America and, and him kind of facing off Thanos and his army, when you talk about those moments that are given to those characters, it's only because those moments are written by somebody. And we saw it with the Justice League. And the mm -hmm. cyborg character and what Josh Wheaton mm -hmm. did to that young man and his backstory yeah. erased him. And and with this new cut, it, it you know, it's like cyborg has a mother and, a, and they loved each other. And he's got this all this complex character and we won't see him, though, in Spider-Man because of the hateful way yeah. that racism wears his ugly head. Right. No, no, no. Th those are those are all good points. And I, I'm I'm a big supporter of John Boyega's uh um, point of view as well, and I totally agree. You know, um, uh, I'm not the, not the, the biggest fan of of uh, Snyder's work. I think I still think his best film was uh, his his zombie movie, his zombie remake. I'm looking forward to the new one because I think he did. Oh, it looks good. It looks fire. Movies. That's the one starring but, uh, what's the guy from uh, Gal Gal Guardian uh, uh, of the Galaxy. Uh, I'm sorry, Batista. Batista. Dave Batista. Batista. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tracks. Tracks destroyed. Yes. Anyway, um, yeah, but I really did feel that yeah that they they totally eviscerated that character, you know, and um, he was the soul of that movie, you know, as it were. So yeah, that, that was, that was very unfair. Um, I think that, um, I think you're right. I think what's happened because of the fact that um, 
how we make comics has been uh, democratized a great deal. Like back in the day, you really had to go to New York <laughs> with your pages. You had to go to like a comic book convention and meet the artists and meet the writers and, um, and have your little pages ready to show people. And now, you know, you can actually learn how to be a comic book artist online. You know, you can actually subscribe to Adobe Creative Suite. Um, there's a lower level of access to get into those spaces. Um, everybody has Twitter accounts and things. The other thing too is that, you know, we have other uh, new ways of distributing our content. You know, like Peep Game Comics, for instance, but, you know, out of uh, Ohio, Amani Latif's company, he's a, he's a black uh, digital distributor. You know? <laughs> so you can actually go there and it's all black comics, that's it. And so what's happened is like, I think the larger uh, entities have discovered like, you know, the gatekeeping aspect has like, you know, has really kind of hurt them in some ways, right? And because these people are really, really talented. You know, there's some extremely talented uh, brothers and sisters who are making comics and, you know, making making ends or, you know, at least like paying rent, you know, and doing what they love, right? So, you know, that's what it's all about. So I, I definitely agree with you that there are these really, really serious communal spaces. And that's actually kind of what, what made me and Damian Duffy start working on the stuff that we were doing. The book you referenced is an outcropping of, you know, what Turtero on Lee called the, uh, the Black Age of Comics. You know, we have this really, really uh, robust, bubbling, Black independent comics uh, community that is like coming out of the 90s. And there's conventions, there's a Glyph Award, there's this thing called the Glyph Awards that's, that's at the uh, East Coast Black Age of Comics. I mean, these people are extremely talented, I, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been studying this particular culture for like the last 15 years. And me and Damien, who actually did the Kendrick book with me, he's the adapter, you know, um, we were we were just fascinated by the fact that these people were out there doing this thing and they, a lot of them have not worked for Marvel or DC. A lot of them um, are, most of them, well, all of them are publishers. Everybody in there is essentially a business, like a, a separate business, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's a really, really robust community and they support each other, you know, and there's some, there's some infighting here or there like there always is, but for the most part, it's, a, it's all love. And when people come together at these conventions, like the one in Harlem, um, you know, these, these particular uh, intellectual properties are known, you know, by the community. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that there is, there is something that's changing about that. And also, you know, this, this rise of African, of Afrofuturism, you know, there's like, a, there's a zeitgeist that I think is kind of like jumping across, you know, you know, sorry, I'm yeah. a professor, I'll be professor. I know, I, it's a radio <laughs> show, it's live. We gotta be able to ask our questions, get in I'm and so ask sorry. the questions. I'm so sorry, ask I'm, excited, question, I'm excited, Cena. Ask your question. Go ahead oh, now, sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, I was lecturing <laughs> us. I just wanted... <laughs> My bad. Okay. It's all good. Uh, what are you reading right now? And would you recommend it? Like, what is there a graphic novel you're reading right now that you would you you would recommend? Man, I'm reading so many. Um, really? How many do you read at one time? Well, here's the thing: I read them in different in different stages because you know sometimes I'm an editor, so I get like scripts. And sometimes oh, got it. I read, yeah. Like, advanced readers' copies. Um, what was it like? Actually, uh, Barry Windsor Smith's uh, graphic novel I'm really enjoying. It's called Monsters. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Barry Windsor Smith is a comic book legend. This book uh, is totally done by hand. It took them 30 years to make. It's oh, from big fan of graphics, but that's a gorgeous thing, you know, really compelling. Um, let's see, what did I just finish reading? Oh, you know what? I'm really, I'm really great. I like a lot of scary stuff too, by the way. So, um, and I forgot the creative team, but it's like a jazz horror story. It's called Blue and Green. Beautiful done, beautifully done. The two artists, uh, they actually collaborated almost like a jazz, like, like a jam session. I highly recommend it if you like 
kind of pseudo Lovecraftian family drama. It's, it's, mm. And it's fully painted. It's just a gorgeous thing. It looks like it looks like what jazz would be if it was a comic book, actually. Yeah. We, we should be, you know, we were talking last week with uh, a woman that was talking about gems, diamonds, and mm. how we put fake value on things. We all agree, you know, that yeah. diamonds are not plentiful. They're not rare, but yet they have so, so much value because we agree to it. I need Sorry. us to start to place value on things that you're talking about right now. You know, there are people that collect comic books. I was just thinking about, you know, Robert Kirkman and that, that whole Walking Dead series. I don't know that it's far at even superior to any of the things that you're talking about right now. And your Kindred, mm -hmm. your adaptation of Octavia Butler's Kindred. And if you haven't read Kindred, read the book, read all of Octavia Butler. And I want to thank Tanana Reeve Duke. Yeah. She inspired me because I, you know, I love Stephen King growing up. But this is, again, you know, our lens is always filtered. It's always filtered. So I was into horror, the Incubus, the Succubus, and the Stephen King, and all of this stuff, right? Robert, I even read his um, Robert Bachman, you know, his alter oh, ego. Yeah. Read all yeah. that, Thinner. And then I discovered Tanana Reeve Du with the living blood and my soul to keep. And I was like, what? The, the pages, the good house, Joplin's mm -hmm. ghost. I mean, I'm just like, who yep. is this woman? And she was like, oh, hold my beer. I'm nothing. Read Octavia Butler. And I was like, who? How sad is that? English major. Of course, we did not. They didn't tell me about Octavia Butler. Same thing. Yeah. And I read Kindred, which is a story of a woman, modern day, who gets sucked back into bondage. That That's horror. Just think about right now, you wake up, you're brushing your teeth. You, you, there's a portal. You, you end up on the other side and you're in 1800 Virginia someplace in bondage in a, in a, in a potato sack with your 2021 mentality. That's how this book plays out in the back and forth. And she's trying to save herself in the future. I mean, it's incredible. How do you take that story? And again, uh, Earthseed and all, I mean, psh, how do you turn that into a graphic novel? What was that process? Um, it was very hard. <laughs> first of all, yeah. Uh, first of all, I was in a similar situation where I didn't come across Octavia Butler's work. And I went to a, I went to Jackson State University, I went to an HBCU. And she was not being really taught in my English classes, definitely like the classics and definitely like the Harlem Renaissance people. I came across her work in like in the early 2000s, you know. So that's the first thing that, that it was a shame. So we were fortunate enough to get the contract with Abrams Comic Arts, who had secured the rights to the book, Kindred, through her agent and her, um, her estate. Damian uh, Duffy, who is my longtime collaborator, uh, who actually also too, and it, not that it matters, but is, is also a white writer, right? But we've been working together on these issues around race and representation for many, many years, and uh, definitely is a, a trusted ally in this comic spaces, right? So what Damien had to do first was to just to go through the book. I think he might have read it like maybe 13, 14 times, something like that. Uh, we discussed like the layout of the book. Um, I listened to it on audio on audiobook while I was drawing it and just kind of the character designs and stuff. It's a very complex narrative. You know, the thing is, is like, you know, first of all, you don't, there's no time machine, there's no TARDIS, there's no DeLorean. You know, it's a, it's kind of like she gets unease, an uneasy feeling, and then she's drawn back through time. So one of the first things we try to talk about is like color. You know, one of the things that uh, Butler talks about in the book is that, and this is actually one of the most terrifying things, the more and more she goes back to like, you know, uh, to the slave plantation, the more comfortable she becomes, right? And she talks about how vibrant the colors are, right? So, you know, if you, if you do like a lot of, um, 
you've seen a lot of time travel narratives, sometimes they'll make like the past be like kind of, you know, gray or like right. they make it monochrome or something like that. Um, but she's traveling from 1976, can, uh, uh, you know, America to, you know, back through, back through time. So what we decided to do, because that's our past, was to make that monochrome, right? Because if you remember, her and her husband are just moving into their home in California. Right. They haven't made any memories there. It's not really their, their home yet. And it's not even a home yet. So they're still moving in, which I think is very telling. And then when they start going back, back through time, that slave plantation where her relatives are, where her ancestors are, becomes like home to her. And she catches herself many times saying, that, oh, I'm back up. Oh, nope, this is a slave plantation, right? So that was one thing. And then also, um, you know, cutting out parts, and this was very painful, our editor did this part, trying to cut out parts that actually kind of um, showed show what the character was through speech, but was kind of repetitive. We actually had to to cut that out. And we also had to show don't tell, you know, that's parts like that too, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of description. So in a comic book, you're actually showing things, right? So we tried to focus on things that actually only comics could do. So you see like cutaways of the house, or you see like diagrams of what's in her bag when she was traveling, stuff like that. And um, yeah, and then also I was trying to come across a style that was painful, but also was, you know, kind of beautiful and, 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 and rough, you know, so I was looking at the people who drew images of the, uh, the hologram, um, particularly Kathy Kowitz. So I was actually right. well, trying we, to channel that into the, into the work. Cena Gaznavi is here. Cena now and John Jennings the Great is here. He's got a comic book bonanza. <laughs> Tell us about Megascope. All right. Thank you. So because of the uh, success of the, the graphic novel Kindred, um, Basically, I pitched to Abrams Comic Arts a new line of books called uh, Megascope that is inspired by the W.E.B. Du Bois uh, short story, uh, The Prince of Steel. Megascope is a line of books that's dedicated to stories by and about people of color, mostly speculative, so science fiction, fantasy, horror. Uh, our first four books just dropped, um, Across the Tracks, Hard Ears, After the Rain, and Black Star. Oh, wow. And, and somewhere in between you, after Kindred, you're able to do the whole earth scene. We were talking off mic, uh, Cena and uh, you and I about uh, what is the parable of the sower you're reading now, Cena? Yeah, yeah, I'm reading that and listening to it at the same time, which is it's, part of the earth seat uh, yeah. trilogy by Octavia Butler, the great Octavia Butler. It's two, it's a dual du duology. Is that what you call right. it? A duology, <laughs> a duology, yeah. duology? She, passed, she died before doing parable of the trickster, actually. Ah, okay. All right, so Cena's knee deep in it right now, reading it slowly and, and being triggered every day. Uh, <laughs> and, but you were triggered, John, because you had you you took on the task of drawing. I'm like, how in the hell did you draw a parable of the talents and sowers? Sower, how how? Well, I mean, I, I have um, I use I use drawing as a as a way of catharsis, and I'm, I've always been a big horror fan since the beginning, like I said, and so I have I'm adept at taking a uh, really horrible subject matter and kind of like giving it form. Um, and trying to, you know, give it sort of a distance, you know, but it was, it's a very, it's a very rough book. I'm not looking forward to doing Parable of Talents. I'm doing the characters. Oh my God. Same publisher that Megascope is, we're putting those books out too. Um, yeah. Uh, hold, it's hold, very triggering. Hold that book up again. <laughs> the one you were holding up, hold it up. Uh, 866-801-8255. John Jennings is here. John Jennings. I got to call him the great. Oh, wow. Wow. wow that's beautiful. That's Me. beautiful. Okay. Now, soft now, cover drop soon. 
are you what are you do you excuse me do you consider yourself an artist do you consider yourself yes. an artist okay yes All right. much, on, on every on every level because i'm a writer editor everything i do is about art you know everything i do is about expression so even even the way i teach teaches art teaching is art facts when did you know you were good at this i started drawing super early uh, i want to say like you know four something like that oh, okay um, my mom said I was always attracted to like like to bright colors and to shapes and stuff like that. And you know my background is graphic design, so I, I taught graphic design for like twenty years. So I can't even ask you what's next, John Jennings, because you seem to be very busy. Uh, have you cloned yourself? Um, I have a I have a baby. I got, <laughs> I got a little boy. <laughs> well, congratulations, <laughs> Cena. Cena also is going to be joining you in that space with a little baby as well. And uh, oh, thank congrats. you. Congrats. You have a you have an open seat. We support everything. I'm going to go during a break and buy this parable of the talent. Definitely parable. Excuse me, parable of the sower. Thank you for being here, John Jennings. Follow him at J I J J I J I Jennings. J.I. Jennings on the Twitters. J.I. Jennings will tweet it out, of course. Megascope. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.